eavesdropping is welcome on the desert's best conversations with Charlie Dyer. American musical theater conjures images of bright lights and big cities, but its lifeblood courses through local and amateur productions around the country. Our guest today examined the widespread presence and persistence of musical theater in the United States in our culture as a live, pleasurable, and participatory experience. She traveled from Maine to Hawaii, visiting schools, performance festivals, summer camps, outdoor theaters, community theaters, and dinner theaters, where she interviewed over 200 practitioners and spectators, licensors, and administrators. She's here to illuminate musical theater's enduring power as a joyful activity that touches millions of lives. Thank you so much, Stacey Wolf, for being here today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. Thanks so much for having me, Charlie. Well, the new book is Beyond Broadway, The Pleasure and Promise of Musical Theater Across America. Stacy is one of America's foremost scholars on musical theater. She is professor of theater at Princeton, director of fellowships, and director of Princeton's new program in music theater. She is the author of Changed for Good, a feminist history of the Broadway musical, a problem like Maria, gender and sexuality in the American musical, and the co-editor of the Oxford Handbook of the American American Musical. She has published articles on theater and musical theater in many journals, including Theater Journal, Modern Drama, and Camera Obscura, and was a former editor of Theater Topics. She also has experience as a director and dramaturg. Tell us about the breadth of your research and travels around the country. We touched on it a little bit there, and, and you talked to a couple of hundred people, and what were you hoping to accomplish in, in writing this new book, and how that may have changed as you spoke to people along the way? Mm, yes, that's a good, that's that's a great question. What I was hoping to accomplish was to understand why people in this day and age, and the book covers the 2010s. So why in the 21st century are people, that is, kids from very young children to adults, uh, senior citizens, interested and excited about? participation in and also seeing musical theater, but but primarily participation in musical theater. So we have this very slow, old-fashioned, face-to-face, intensely collaborative, difficult activity that gives people a lot of pleasure, but it also is a lot of work to rehearse a show and block a show and learn the music and learn the choreography and set the lights and do tech rehearsals. And in this day and age of big data, of people on their phones, of screens, of things moving so fast, I wanted to understand what the pleasure was for people, what they got out of it, what made kids excited to stay in school to be able to be in a show, what made adults go to a community theater after they had worked a day at work to put in time week after week and month after month to be in a show, and what drew people in their communities. And I was surprised to find that musical theater is unbelievably widespread. And virtually every high school, for example, there are more than 26,000 high schools in the country. Virtually every high school in the country has some kind of musical theater event happening. There are thousands and thousands of community theaters, and they do shows every every year, and the form is thriving. So I think what surprised me over the course of my research and what changed was that there just kept being more and more. I think, I don't know why I thought this, but somehow I thought it would end 
somewhere <laughs> and that I would get to the end of the line and say, okay, this is where this peters off or this is where people are less enthusiastic. And that wasn't the case at all. Everyone I met gave me names of someone else and passed me along to someone else. And very, even the very end of the book, you mentioned being in Hawaii in the conclusion of the book, I was at a community theater in Waimea, Hawaii, where they were doing a production of West Side Story. And that was after the book was done. And then I had to write a new section and talk about that because it was so remarkable. Well, let's take a step back and, and tell us about growing up listening to Broadway cast albums yourself and, and how that inspired you to want to perform in musicals at school, like uh, when you were in Peter Pan. <laughs> yes. Well, I was a ham as a kid and I started performing at a very young age. I, I'm sure I started performing at my family's Seder at Passover when I was three or four years old, as soon as I could talk. But I performed in Peter Pan when I was eight years old. I was so excited to be on stage. And uh, the story that I tell in the book is that my grandfather came to see the show and he said, oh, Stacy, you were so good and you were so loud and you were ad-libbing. <laughs> and I didn't know whether ad-libbing was good or bad, but it, he made it sound like a compliment. So I, I thought it was good. And in those days, really, if you were a kid and you were loud and brave, that was pretty much all you needed to make it in the theater, which, uh, and that sustained me for some time. But because I grew up in the 1960s and 70s in a middle-class family. We had cast albums playing all the time. I saw The Sound of Music when I was a little kid. And I grew up surrounded by this, even though my family was in no way an artsy family. There was nothing particularly Broadway or theater oriented. No one in my family had done theater, but I was just bitten by the theater bug. And I didn't go to New York or see a Broadway show until I was well into my teens. And that was another reason, looking back once I was in the middle of my project, that I had had so much experience with musical theater. I wanted to be a Broadway star. I had been in community theaters and dinner theaters and summer camp musicals and school musicals, and yet had never been to Broadway. I actually had no direct knowledge of Broadway musical theater, and yet I was completely involved in the world of Broadway musical theater. And I think it's a typical story. It was a typical story in the 60s and 70s, and it's still a typical story now. Tell us about going to Camp Ramblewood in uh, Maryland there and, and the impact that had on you at the time being immersed in uh, musical theater like that. My second debut, I suppose, was at Camp Ramblewood uh, the summer in between my third grade and fourth grade year. And um, as I tell it in the book, I was not an especially athletic child. I liked summer camp mostly because I got to be in a show. And because anyone of any age could be in any show, I played um, a little kid. I played Gracie Shin in The Music Man my first year at, at that camp. And then the second year, I played one of the secretaries in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. And I think what I learned in that experience was the pleasure of the day-to-day -day building of a show. And so every day you work on a musical number or you work on some choreography or you work on a scene and everyone is there together and you're working on these harmonies together and you're working on this choreography together and bit by bit it comes comes together. And there's always this point about a week before the show opens where you think this will never happen. This, this is impossible. It will never happen. And somehow it does. And I think it was 
a combination of the camaraderie, looking up to the older kids, and my own pleasure in performance, getting the attention that that was, um, that that was for me, that all came together. And then when the audience showed up and the whole camp was there and it was such a special night and it was such a big deal, that just nailed it for me. <laughs> that was it. I was, I was a musical theater fanatic for the rest of my life. Well, talk about that first professional musical production that you ever saw. It was at the Burn Bray Dinner Theater in, in 1970. You were only nine years old at the time. We went to see this production because I had done The Music Man at summer camp, and my parents thought it would be fun to take my sister and me to see this show. I had never seen a professional show before. I had never been to a dinner theater before. This was a huge huge event for our family and a huge event for me. And what was so amazing about the experience, in addition to getting to eat a lot of desserts with whipped cream on them, (laughs) which was a a huge dream for me that I, I got to eat as many desserts as I wanted, was that the actors were very close and I could see them breathing and I could see them sweating and I could see them working because it was a, a relatively small space and our table was pushed right uh, up against the stage. And I was absolutely enthralled with seeing these actors do their work. But the other thing that I think was so important to me, and in some ways looking back, this maybe launched my career as a theater scholar at the Mm -hmm. age of nine, was that because I had done the show several weeks before, I knew it backwards and forwards. I knew every line. I knew every note of the songs. I knew the harmonies. And I could compare what had happened at the production that we did at summer camp with what was happening on the stage with these professional actors. And I got such a big kick out of that, hearing the differences in the interpretations and the differences in their voices. And it's a music man, so it wasn't huge differences in interpretations, but just the subtle changes that the actors how the actors created their characters. And I think in some ways, looking back at nine years old, that's what started me being a theater critic, being able to compare those two productions. Well, it was only two years later, you you write that by the time you were 11, as you mentioned, you were a musical theater fanatic, that the bug had bit you. You were obsessed. You were a Broadway star wannabe. You performed in or seen shows at most of the musical theater venues that you actually visited for beyond Broadway within that two-year period. So talk a bit about that transformation and bringing your family along in, in that journey to have, in just in two years' time, that seems really dramatic. Yeah, well, I think um, for probably for most parents who've had kids who've been fanatical about musical theater or kids who have been that way, once you're bit, that's it. And then at every opportunity, I wanted to see the, the big kids who were at the theater with me in their high school shows. I wanted to be in community theater shows. I was very lucky because I had the chance to take uh, drama and dance classes at the dinner theater where I saw that production of The Music Man. So I got tied into a community of people, of kids who were taking lessons and taking dance and involved in that world. And so I got to see the shows at the dinner theater. I was in a production of The Sound of Music the following year and in the production of The King and I and racial drag and dark pancake makeup and a black wig and a lot of um, brown face that would be very horrifying by today's standards. But that's, that's where we were in suburban Maryland in the 1970s. And my, my family did come along. I have to say that my parents were never stage people. 
um, they were willing to drive me to rehearsals and they did a lot of driving, but they never really pushed me. I not really sure they ever exactly understood why I cared about this so much. They were supportive, but they were not stage parents. And occasionally I was a little bit envious of the other people, the other kids whose parents were pushing them more. I wanted, I think I wanted my my mom or my dad to come and put on my makeup for me and put on my wig and dress me in my <laughs> costume and I had to do it myself. <laughs> you say that local musical theater, local musical theater sustains Broadway music and were it not for local musical theater, there would be no Broadway musical there in New York City. So why is that, Stacy? It's really astonishing because we think of Broadway, as you said in the opening uh discussion, opening description of my book, we think about Broadway as the place where musical theater happens. But really, it could not survive without these local theaters. And I see it happening in three different ways. First, and most obviously, all artists who work on Broadway started in local shows, whether they're actors, directors, choreographers, producers, dramaturgs, stage managers, techies, seamstresses, any person who is now in New York or in London on the West End started in their local venue, in a community theater, in a summer camp. That's where they got their training. That's where they were first bit. So it, is a, it absolutely feeds the labor and the creativity of Broadway. Second, audiences who go to see shows in New York go because they have some understanding of what musical theater is. Obviously, revivals are huge sellers and titles that people know are really big. But just the experience of what a musical is is something that people learn from their hometowns. Again, whether they're in shows or whether they've gone to see shows, whether they have kids who've been in shows, they understand the genre of musical theater from a home experience. And most of the people who see Broadway shows are tourists. They are from out of town. And that happens because they already know musicals and are enthusiastic about musicals. And finally, and as significant as these other two reasons. Licensors depend on local and amateur shows for their business. So these are the companies like Music Theater International and Samuel French and the Rodgers and Hammerstein organization that steward the rights to Broadway shows and that allow anyone who wants to do a show to pay for the rights to be able to do The Sound of Music, Oklahoma, Little Shop of Horrors, Grease, and so on. So they oversee the copyright and they protect the property and make sure that royalties are paid and that everything is done legally. Well, they get 50% of their profit from amateur venues, which is enormously important. It allows them mm -hmm. to sustain their their business model. There would be no business model. There would be no distribution of titles were it not for the amateur circuit. And this was something that was very surprising to me when I went to MTI's offices and visited them and learned about what, why amateurs mattered. I had this feeling that amateur theater mattered, but until I got there and actually learned about the numbers and how their business works, I, I didn't really truly appreciate how important local and amateur shows are. Well, why do audiences still flock to see musicals in their towns where they live? I mean, what does local musical theater do as part of your research and speaking to people all around the country? Is there common themes there? There are 
some common themes. I think part of it is simply the form of the musical. That musical theater is accessible. The music is easy on the ear. It makes you want to hum and tap your toes. The rhymes are very strong. Musicals are emotional. They really grab our heartstrings. They make you feel joy. They make you feel sorrow. There's big emotions in musicals. Musicals are direct. So they communicate directly with their audience. There's no fourth wall. No one is pretending that the audience isn't there. Actors and musicals work very hard to establish a strong and direct relationship with the audiences. And they're live. People are coming together in the same place and breathing the same air and having this experience that will never be repeated exactly like this again. So I think that's what draws people to musicals at all. I think in people's towns, people want to see their neighbors and friends and children of their neighbors and friends and parents of the parents of their neighbors and friends performing on stage. It makes people feel connected to their community. And I think people realize that the arts matter. The arts matter to human well-being, to human flourishing, and that by going and seeing a show, you get great pleasure out of it and you're supporting your community. Tell us about meeting 12-year-old Vanessa Jackson and her participation in the Junior Theater Festival and Broadway Junior. The Junior Theater Festival is something that, again, I did not believe until I got there. There were many experiences that I had in this book that I could not believe were real until I actually got there. (laughs) So when I had visited Music Theater International, they said, oh, you have to go to the Junior Theater Festival. It's amazing. And I didn't know what it was. I had never heard of it. And I went to Atlanta. They had this festival every year during MLK weekend, and now they actually have another version in San Diego. So between these two festivals, there are more than 7,000 children who are mostly middle school age who go for a weekend to celebrate musical theater. The center of the event is adjudications. So all of these different groups come with a middle school group, occasionally an elementary school group, a community theater group, somewhere between 15 and 40 kids and their chaperones bring a 15-minute excerpt from a Broadway junior title that they've performed at home already or plan to perform later. And Broadway junior are these 60-minute little adaptations of classic musicals. So there are things like Guys and Dolls Jr., Godspell Jr., The Little Mermaid Jr., and they are adaptations of big shows that are written specifically for kids. They work with kids' voices, the songs are shorter, the keys are transposed, the stories are shorter, the violence and excessive romance are written out, and they're all approved by the creators. So the creators are completely involved in this process. And it has made it easier over the past 25 years for younger kids to perform in these shows. So the schools bring a 15-minute excerpt, and sometimes teachers will or, and directors will have the kids just perform, say, the first 15 minutes of the show or the last 15 minutes of the show. But very often, the teachers will create a whole new little tiny musical, a 15-minute musical that pulls the best bits from their production. And these kids do these performances with no costumes, no lights, no set. They have some basic theater 
tubes. They're in their jeans and their Junior Theater Festival T-shirts. The music is all taped and recorded. It's all Mm -hmm. piped in. And they do their 15 minutes for two professional adjudicators. So these are either directors or actors or producers or people who've come mostly from New York City who watch them perform and then give them feedback on how they did. And it's very exciting and very tense, although the adjudicators are lovely. And some of the kids who I spoke to actually said the adjudicators were too nice and too easy on them. But they comment on their performances. And there are typically 10 to 12 groups who are all in this hotel room, this hotel conference room for an entire day watching each other perform. So one group gets up and they do their 15 minutes and then the adjudicators respond and then the next group and the next group. And then the conference is filled out with amazing workshops for kids, dance workshops and acting workshops and singing workshops and then also workshops for the adults who come with them about lighting and set and how to get your community members involved. And it's really a remarkable celebration of musical theater. Tell us about Vanessa Jackson. Did you see yourself in her and that 12-year-old? Oh, yes, absolutely. So she's a kid who was um, a soccer player as well as a musical theater fanatic. And I was not a soccer player. I was not athletic at all, as I said before. But she was a really interesting kid because she was just the point in her young life as a middle school kid where she could still do both. And frequently, by the time kids get to high school, they're pressured to choose either sports or arts. And she was doing both. She was relatively recent to doing arts, and she was really thriving. She was learning about how to express herself, learning how to sing out um, out to an audience and to get her voice to reach the last line of where people were sitting. And she absolutely loved it and was connecting with her friends and was finding her identity as a young performer. And I think she typifies the combination of individual empowerment, bravery, expressiveness, identity formation, confidence building that you see in a lot of kids who do musical theater, in addition to cooperation, patience, diligence, working with a group of students, being able to sit still. And it's not all sunshine and happiness and rainbows all the time, but for the most part, Musical theater does great things for kids, and Vanessa was an example of a kid who was just blossoming, according to her teacher and director. Stacey Wolf is our guest today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. The new book is Beyond Broadway. Thank you so much for being here today, Stacey. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm Charlie Dyer. 